presence before me as I look far back into the blank of my infancy are my mother with her pretty hair and youthful shape and Peggotty with no shape at all. What else do I remember? Let me see. There comes out of the cloud our house. On the ground floor is Peggotty's kitchen opening into a backyard. Here is a long passage. What an enormous perspective I make of it. Leading from Peggotty's kitchen to the front door. Here is our pew in the church with a window near it out of which our house can be seen and is seen many times during the morning service. And now I see the outside of our house, with the latticed bedroom windows, standing open to let in the sweet-smelling air. Peggotty and I were sitting one night by the parlour fire, alone, when the garden bell rang. We went out to the door, and there was my mother, looking unusually pretty, I thought, and with her a gentleman with beautiful black hair and whiskers, who had walked home with us from church last Sunday. As my mother stooped down on the threshold to take me in her arms and kiss me, the gentleman said I was a more highly privileged little fellow than a monarch, or something like that, and patted me on the head. But somehow I didn't like him or his deep voice, and I put his hand away. Whether it was the following Sunday when I saw the gentleman again, or whether there was any greater lapse of time before he reappeared, I cannot recall. But there he was, in church, and he walked home with us afterwards. Gradually I became used to seeing the gentleman with the black whiskers. I liked him no better than at first. We were sitting one evening, when my mother was out, when Peggotty, after looking at me several times, said, Master Davy, how should you like to go along with me and spend a fortnight at my brother's at Yarmouth? There's the sea, and the boats, and the fishermen, and the beach, and Am to play with. Peggotty meant her nephew Ham. I was flushed by her summary of delights and replied that it would indeed be a treat, but what would my mother say? Why then I'll as good as bet a guinea, said Peggotty, that she'll let us go. I'll ask if you like as soon as ever she comes home. Without being nearly so much surprised as I had expected, my mother entered into it readily. The day soon came for our going. We were to go in a carrier's cart, which departed in the morning after breakfast. When we saw Yarmouth and the whole adjacent prospect lying a straight low line under the sky, I hinted to Peggotty that a mound or so might have improved it. But Peggotty said, with greater emphasis than usual, that we must take things as we found them, and that for her part Yarmouth was, upon the whole, the finest place in the universe. "'And here's my arm!' she screamed. "'Growed out of knowledge!' He was waiting for us, in fact, at the public house, and asked me how I found myself, like an old acquaintance. Our intimacy was much advanced by his taking me on his back to carry me home. We went past gasworks, rope walks, boat builders' yards, smiths' forges, and a great litter of such places, until Ham said, "'Yon's our house, Master Davy!' I looked in all directions, but no house could I make out. There was a black barge not far off, high and dry on the ground, with an iron funnel sticking out of it for a chimney, and smoking very cosily. "'That's not it,' said I, "'that ship-looking thing.' "'That's it, Master Davy,' returned Ham. "'If it had been Aladdin's palace, "'I suppose I could not have been more charmed "'with the romantic idea of living in it. "'It was beautifully clean inside and as tidy as possible. "'There was a table and a Dutch clock and a chest of drawers, "'and on the chest of drawers there was a tea-tray "'with a painting on it of a lady with a parasol. "'Some lockers and boxes served for seats and eked out the chairs.' All this I saw in the first glance after I crossed the threshold, and then Peggotty opened a little door and showed me my bedroom. It was the completest and most desirable bedroom ever seen, in the stern of the vessel, with a little window where the rudder used to go through. 
The walls were whitewashed as white as milk, and the patchwork counterpane made my eyes quite ache with its brightness. We were welcomed by a very civil woman in a white apron, and a most beautiful little girl, or I thought her so, called Little Emily. By and by, when we had dined in a sumptuous manner of boiled dabs, melted butter and potatoes, with a chop for me, a hairy man with a very good-natured face came home. As he called Peggotty Lass, and gave her a hearty smack on the cheek, I had no doubt that he was her brother. "'Glad to see you, sir,' said Mr. Peggotty. "'You'll find us rough, sir, but you'll find us ready.' I thanked him and replied that I was sure I should be happy in such a delightful place. After tea, when the door was shut and all was made snug, it seemed to me the most delicious retreat that the imagination of man could conceive. To hear the wind getting up out at sea, to know that the fog was creeping over the desolate flat outside, and to look at the fire and think that there was no house near but this one, and this one a boat, was like enchantment. Little Emily was sitting by my side. The lady with the white apron was knitting on the opposite side of the fire. Peggotty was at her needlework. Ham was trying to recollect a scheme of telling fortunes with cards. Mr. Peggotty was smoking his pipe. Later that night, in the privacy of my own little cabin, Peggotty informed me that Ham and Emily were an orphan nephew and niece, whom my host had at different times adopted in their childhood, when they were left destitute and that the lady in the white apron was Mrs. Gummidge, the widow of his partner in a boat who had died very poor. Of course, I was in love with little Emily. We used to walk about Yarmouth in a loving manner, hours and hours, the days sported by us. I told Emily I adored her, and that unless she confessed she adored me, I should be reduced to the necessity of killing myself with a sword. She said she did, and I have no doubt she did. We were the admiration of Mrs. Gummidge and Peggotty, who used to whisper of an evening when we sat, lovingly, on our little locker side by side. I soon found out that Mrs. Gummidge did not always make herself so agreeable as she might have been expected to do under the circumstances of her residence with Mr. Peggotty. Mr. Peggotty went occasionally to a public house called the Willing Mind. I discovered this by his being out on the second or third evening of our visit. Mrs. Gummidge had been in a low state all day, and had burst into tears in the forenoon when the fire smoked. "'I'm a low-lorn creature,' were Mrs. Gummidge's words, "'and everything goes contrary with me.' "'Oh, it'll soon leave off,' said Peggotty, "'and besides, you know, it's not more disagreeable to you than to us.' "'I feel it more,' said Mrs. Gummidge. Mrs. Gummidge's peculiar corner of the fireside seemed to me to be the warmest and snuggest in the place, but she was constantly complaining of the cold.' At last she shed tears on that subject, and said again that she was a low-lorn creature, and everything went contrary with her. "'It's certainly very cold,' said Peggotty. "'Everybody must feel it so.' "'I feel it more than other people,' said Mrs. Gummidge. Accordingly, when Mr. Peggotty came home about nine o'clock, this unfortunate Mrs. Gummidge was knitting in her corner in a very wretched and miserable condition. "'What's amiss?' said Mr. Peggotty with a clap of his hands. Mrs. Gummidge took out an old black silk handkerchief and wiped her eyes. "'You've come from the Willing Mind, Dan'l?' "'Why, yes, I took a short spell at the Willing Mind tonight.' "'I'm sorry, I should drive you there,' said Mrs. Gummidge. "'Drive? I don't want no driving,' returned Mr. Peggotty. "'I only go too ready.' "'Very ready,' said Mrs. Gummidge, shaking her head and wiping her eyes. "'I am sorry it should be along of me that you're so ready.' "'Along of you?' 
It aren't along of you. Yes, y- yes, it is, cried Mrs. Gummidge. I know what I am. I know that I'm a low-lying creature, and not only that everything goes contrary with me, but that I go contrary with everybody. Yes, yes, I feel more than other people do, and I show it more. It's, it's my misfortune. Mrs. Gummidge retired with these words and betook herself to bed. When she was gone, Mr. Peggotty looked round upon us and said, She's been thinking of the olden." And whenever Mrs. Gummidge was overcome in a similar manner during the remainder of our stay, which happened some few times, he always said the same thing in extenuation of the circumstance, and always with the tenderest commiseration. So the fortnight slipped away, and at last the day came for going home. I bore up against the separation from Mr. Peggotty and Mrs. Gummidge, but my agony of mind at leaving little Emily was piercing. Now, all the time I had been on my visit... I had thought little or nothing about my home, but the nearer we drew, the more excited I was to get there and to run into my mother's arms. The door opened, and I looked, half laughing and half crying in my pleasant agitation of my mother. It was not she, but a strange servant. "'Why, Peggotty,' I said ruefully, "'isn't she come home?' "'Yes, yes, Master Davy,' said Peggotty. "'She's come home.' She took me by the hand, led me, "'wandering into the kitchen, and shut the door. "'Peggotty,' said I, quite frightened, "'what's the matter?' "'Nothing's the matter, bless you, Master Davy, dear,' "'she answered, untying her bonnet with a shaking hand. "'What do you think? "'You've got a par, a new one.' "'A new one?' I repeated. "'Peggotty put out her hand. "'Come and see him.' "'I don't want to see